today on City Cash Chicago. I don't know about y'all, but this week kind of spared by for us, so we're slowing down a little bit to look back on some stories from the week, including one we all had our eyes on, a couple we thought deserved a little more shine, and some good news to send you into the extended weekend. In the virtual building, I've got Chicago Sun-Times entertainment reporter Evan Moore and your favorite Chicago historian, Sherman Dilla Thomas. You know, just the fact that she let me renew my vows with some Jordan 1s and the Lakers fitted on. It's like, yeah, I picked the right one for sure. It's Friday, September 3rd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Uh, we go get started with what's that story you've been thinking about this week, and Evan, I'm gonna kick it off with you. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the story that you know kind of stuck to my ribs, as they say, was uh, something by the the trace in in, in, um, in collaboration with Injustice Watts, and it was by Lakeidra Chavis, and it's called "The Problems with Chicago's Gang Centric Narrative of Gun Violence." It kind of goes back to something I wrote for the Sun Times about a month ago, uh, in terms of. Um, how you look at the city and you look at all these institutions, not at all, it's a blame game. You have, you have like the mayor blaming the cops, blaming the criminal justice system, parents, mainly black parents. Then you have police, you know, blaming the mayor, blaming gangs. It's, it's an easy thing to do, but obviously this story, you know, uh, lays it out where, yeah, it's like, ah, not so fast. Exactly. Yeah, Lakidra looked at, I think, over 34,000 shootings, talked to over 30 different people to put this story together. Dilla, did you did you see that piece from The Trace? I did. I did. I kind of been running to that a lot lately. Anytime I'd say Chicago's the greatest city in the world on any social media, somebody immediately goes to, um, except if you're getting shot by this or that, right? Or mm-hmm. if I tweet out, you know, I'm eating a, a Maxwell Street Polish, they, somebody over you know, inevitably say, watch out for the bullets, right? And just the blame game that Evan said, but not just that, like how antiquated we look at the problem, you know? Exactly. We finally are looking at the streets from a 90s perspective, but we ain't in the 90s no more, you know what I mean? And when we were in the 90s, they thought that it was still the 70s, you know? Uh, so, so just that it's easy to like, I would go as far as to say we don't even have a gang problem in Chicago no more. Yeah, gangs have been the scapegoat in the Chicago playbook all the way back to the original Daily uh, Mayor. And so when the mayor comes out and says we have to eradicate gangs, she's continuing that scapegoats this this narrative that Lakidra says, you know, less than, what was it, three less than three out of ten shootings were connected to gangs. And, and we really don't have the concrete reason why, but one of them is, as Dilly even pointed out, is because we're not in the 90s no more. When y'all were growing up, wh- what neighborhoods were you growing up in and what was the conversation around gangs like when you were coming up? Do you remember, Dilla? I'm from a prolific uh, gang neighborhood and I'm from Arvin Gresham, right? Me too. So you got Killerwood, Gville, Foster Park, 8 Trey, Boys Town. Like, grew up in the 90s, you, you know, these names. Uh, I fancy myself a Chicago historian, but I was an adult before I started calling places, you know, Wicker Park, Lincoln Park, Humble Park right now. It was, exactly. it was like Ducktown and Ghost Town, you know, like 
places were their gang set names. So yeah, I for sure remember that. And to your point, now I talk to my sons and with the exception of like some mistaken identity stuff, he could go in the car and go visit anybody, go see a girl on any side of town. I was like, that wasn't my reality. I lived on Troop Street. You couldn't go on Bishop. Yeah, I lived on Laughlin. Word, wasn't Laughlin. Uh, 92nd, and before that, I lived on like 78th and Peoria. Yeah, so see, so then you lived in Nation, and you lived in 9-0. As Lakedra was pointing out in the piece, as we've come into the 2000s, those structures have kind of broken down into smaller cliques that are on blocks and that are less organized. And so the narrative has become much more complicated. And and like y'all have said, pushing back into that 90s rhetoric, it's not helpful to understand what we're going through right now. The problem is the same in in a sense in that like it's never about conflict resolution, which is at the heart of everything here. I don't understand that the city that had a gang problem since the, the 60s why conflict resolution isn't taught in schools. You know, like that should be public school curriculum. We used to, when women stayed home, you had home met. And when men had hands-on jobs, you had carpentry. So stuff taught in public schools as soon as you hit like seventh and eighth grade, because that was the world they lived in. Yeah, I spoke to that in the column. Uh, and uh, I bet I read it for the Sun-Times a month ago, where is uh, one of the one of the schools, uh, it was Sasso High School, the old building was turned into, was transitioned into a police facility. I'm just like, well, why can't that be a space where kids, you know, learn about conflict resolution, about how to balance a, uh, balance uh, their uh, checking account or or um, pick up a, a trade or learn photography or or young boys can learn that the, the nuances of consent, you know, or something like that. I'm with both of y'all. Um, Dilla, I want to move to you and we're going to go into the category of underhyped story. You know, was there a story you was following this week that you was like, man, other people need to be talking about this. Other people need to be looking at this. They were originally. They're not anymore. The energy bill. Clear disclosure. I work for ComEd, right? I'm an area operator. Uh, aside from being a historian, I'm also a union steward. So, you know, that's the disclosure. But even if I wasn't any of that. Bro, you got 45 titles, 16 (laughs) jobs, four kids, like. Seven kids. Seven kids. I meant four kids kids to drop off in the morning, but seven kids. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely rough on me. I understand the need to transition to green energy, but the technology isn't there to right now turn the corner and turn everything off and go green that's one two if you look at towns like harvey and Dalton, gary indiana you see what happened when you pull their industry out if you close a power plant in the byron if you close pirate plants in dixon you're going to decimate those communities you're not saying we're going to close these power plants and then Amazon's going to take the, the rental the tax base that these these power plants were just giving our towns and cities right And then the other thing is the clean energy just isn't reliable to the state of where we are right now. You know, and it was just proven in Texas. Wasn't wasn't the problem in Texas also a matter of a failure of investment into infrastructure over the last decade that that company cut costs when they privatized and and didn't weatherproof? And so isn't investment in clean energy, simultaneous job training to help people shift industry, isn't doing that simultaneously critical? I'm glad you mentioned job training. They're going to contract out a lot of that conversion stuff. And people who look like you and me not going to get the job. 
than people who look like you and me who have finally got a foothold into public utilities, right? It wasn't always black people work for People's Gas or Comet or AT&T. You know, like this only started happening in the 60s. Uh, so the black middle class and a good chunk of those people either work for Mead or other utilities that are surviving right now off of the way our, our, we get our energy. And again, I'm not saying you, you don't turn to clean energy. I'm saying you have to like do it equally, right? So as you take away a coal plant, you need to be giving those same people jobs at the wind farm. I don't think the plan that they have right now is going to go through. Uh, I don't think the governor is interested in signing it. I don't think it goes far enough. I do agree that it is short-sighted. But the, the, the track we on right now, my guy, you, neither tracks seem to be taking us in, in a healthy place. Evan, is there an underhyped story that, that you felt this week that you were looking at and you was like, man, other people need to be flocking to this like me? Well, you know, we've been talking about, you know, Kanye West and, and uh, the listening party and who was there and checked out a story from Andre uh, G from uh, Complex Music. And he wrote a, a piece called Examining, Examining the Complicated Gospel of Kanye West. One of the people, everybody talks about the baby and Marilyn Manson being there, but who else was on top, who out there in front of uh, the uh, the rough governor's mom song? Larry Hoover Jr., you know, and, and Ruga, you know. So, you know, like you, people kind of remember that story. You know, Kanye, you know, went to that White House a few years ago and um, and uh, asked President Trump to, you know, commute Larry Hoover's sentence. And, you know, he didn't commute the sentence, but, you know, President Trump ended up signing, you know, the First Step Act. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's something they want to shorten the sentences of uh, kingpins who've been in jail for a long time. And some people are like, oh, he finally lost his mind. Or, or is it a thing where it's like, you know, is there a method to his madness? And Dilla, uh, I know I know you've been following it, man. You, what, your moment of joy even came from that. When you heard Larry Hoover Jr., when you saw him, when you heard him on the record. And, you know, for people who don't know, he's the son of Larry Hoover. Right, founder of the, uh, of the Gangster Disciples. We've been talking about gangster at the time. He's been in jail for since the early seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, and his family has been advocating. People on his behalf have been advocating for him to be let out. And his son, on the record, you know, gave a three, four minute testimony about why he felt his father deserved to to be set free and how his incarceration has impacted his family. I believe, like you guys said, it's very powerful. I assure you, Ruger. Uh, the artist who created the the newest uh, iteration of the GD anthem record, they got a few, but he got the newest one out. But there's a line in the song where he says, uh, I can't do a song with you. The G the Bees catch me, they're gonna put me on the news. And he say, Shut the fuck up, stop picking sides. And like that is that gave me so it was so powerful. So many other Chicago rappers have made it known like you can't like a post of another person because it automatically puts you on that side, right? And I'm saying stop picking sides. It's such a Chicago thing. If you ain't in this shit, you ain't in this shit, right? And him saying that, it's freaking, I've seen Latin Kings, I've seen Vice Lords. It, TikTok was crazy with with memes and videos when that song came out. People of every game. Just just dancing, right? On the one hand, it sounds like, man, how's y'all geeked up? And I have a moment of joy about a song about a gang, right? But uh, sometimes things transcend what they are, right? For a very long time, Sam Giacana was celebrated in Chicago. But we know he was a gangster. So, like, why why, why can't we acknowledge that Hoover has moved on from a certain point? Like, and then we can do about the past, you know what I'm saying? But if he has something to offer 
to make the future better, that one line, stop picking sides, allows people to just, just celebrate Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Evan, uh, did you have a moment of joy this week? Some good news for the people. Yeah, I did. Um, that happened to be with, you know, this article uh, I pulled up. Um, it's, uh, it's by the Hot Park Herald, and it's uh, called At Kenwood Park, A Street Soccer Culture Grows. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's pretty written by Mark Monahan, but I think it's pretty dope because you think about like what's the most like important or popular sport in the entire diaspora. That's not like America, but black folks across the world. Uh, it's uh, soccer, you know, or football, you know, they call it. And I think that's pretty cool that um, you know, this, we can have something like that locally because locally, I mean, if you're a good black kid, you like soccer, where are you gonna go? <laughs> You know, and I think it's uh, cool that someone put this, to, you know, puts it together. And like locally, we tell kids, oh, the way is basketball or football and and soccer. You know, if you see how much money they make, you know, overseas. You know, and you know, when I can a, a kid from the south side, you know, like be supported, you know, and end up in the Premier League or or in La Liga or uh, or something like that. So perspective, man, that's that's the only way the city of heal. I ain't saying we gotta like kumbaya and live with each other but the second we recognize we got more alike than we do different right like the second north side white kids see that black kids across the diaspora like soccer too right or you know we got the highest growing demographic is the mexican and latinx population here in chicago yeah they love football soccer those those are things that like keep you from beefing later in life when y'all all on the same team you know when y'all all play against each other so i think that's a beautiful that's a great moment of joy Shout out to Maxwell Murray in the Urban Football League. He says they got plans to bring some pickup games to Pilsen. And just like y'all said, like building these connections across the city, that's one of the things that we try to do here on the show is like to see what the hell is going on in Jefferson Park and what they're doing in Andersonville and what's happening in Roseland and Gresham and what's also happening in Pullman where uh, my moment of joy comes from. It's an episode we're going to cover next week, um, but I got to go to the National Historic Pullman Museum. For me, my moment is really simple. It's just I never got that close to that building in my entire life. Man, that's dope. I have walked past it plenty of times to to get that closer to experience and, and then to walk in and see how the museum is evolving and talk to the park ranger was just real cool. And so my hope is that, and it continues to kind of push the, the development of that community forward um, because for too long, Pullman and Roseland, you know, have been divested in. So it was just, it was real cool to be that close to the building. Roseland is the former, um, when I say thousands, close close to maybe 2,000 enslaved Americans escaped through Roseland via the Underground Railroad. Like, that's how important Roseland is, and it should be treated that way. And then The museum is not a uh, sort of uh, monument or memorial to George Pullman, the businessman from the minute you walk in it's posing the question uh pioneer or paternalist um and and i think the they do a great job of getting into that fellas i want to thank both of y'all for being here on the show today uh so again i was joined by chicago sun times reporter evan moore and your favorite chicago historian mr Della thomas thank y'all both for being on city cash chicago today thanks for having me appreciate it Before I let you go, I've got to give a big shout out to my entire team. We're taking Monday off, but we'll be back with you on Tuesday. 
Earlier, I asked lead producer Carrie Shepard and newsletter writer Sydney Madden to give us a couple more moments of joy before we head into the weekend. Lead producer Carrie Shepard. My moments of joy are my niece and nephew. Today is my nephew's birthday, and next Friday is my niece's birthday. Newsletter writer Sydney Madden. My aunt and uncle celebrated their 30-year wedding anniversary, so happy anniversary, Aunt Sherry and Uncle John. Big love to our producer, Simone Alisea and Natalie Rivera out in L.A. Our music is from Sam Trump and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. To all the guests who make time to sit down with us and all of you who allow us into your day for just a little bit, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I'll talk to you Tuesday and have a safe Labor Day weekend. Peace.